Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Fight Night Podcast from TalkSport. It's me, Andy Clark, and former super middleweight champion of the world, George Groves. Over the course of this podcast, we'll ask whether Sal Canelo Alvarez really is as undefeatable at super middleweight as we all believe him to be. You'll hear exclusively from Natasha Jonas, and I take the saint down memory lane. First, though, what next for Chris Eubank Jr.? This is the Fight Night Podcast. Boxing's amazing, isn't it? You're only as bad as your last fight. You're only as good as your last fight. That That's the upside and the downside to it at times. You're back in the game so quickly, especially when you've got the added bonus of that of that surname. There are downsides to that at times, but generally speaking, it is, it is a plus and it has been a plus for him. So difficult to second guess someone like him, to be honest. But if you were him, what would you be looking at? Well... As you say, Andy, the name and the profile opens so many doors for him. And here in the here in Britain at the moment, with like three major promoters rather than two, it kind of being a major name. And if you can sort of be a bit fluid and a bit, you know, roll with the punches, we say, uh, it can really work in your favour. Yeah, he's just headlined a Sky pay per view card um, against Liam Smith. He's had two fights now. With Liam Smith on Sky pay per view, and he's always had this fight with Conor Ben in the back pocket. And where will that land? Where will that? What network would that be on? You know, originally it was supposed to be on the Zone, in terms of the TV. Um, and I think Eubank. I don't know. I don't know. Is it? Is it Golovkin? Does he think Golovkin right now is the right time? Risk reward makes sense. Good. Good money. Or is it Conor Ben? And I've got a feeling that it's, we're, we're, we're all Conor Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to get past that, really, isn't it? Eddie's been talking about it this week. Eddie Hearn saying that he's met up with Callis and that they've spoken about it already. The, 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 there is the obvious problem with it, of course, which is that the British Boxing Board of Control and the National Anthony, Anti-Doping Panel um, appeal, basically, that, that clearance of... of Conor Ben, which was issued by UCAD. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. So currently, he doesn't have a license under the BBBFC, so couldn't box in this country. I don't know what the next steps in that protocol are, but they could always take it abroad, potentially. It, it is just 
it's a huge fight. Golovkin's a great name, but he hasn't boxed for a year. He's 41, and he just doesn't have the same recognition, name recognition that Conor Ben has got. Crazy, though, that may sound to boxing fans because just so many people on the fringes of boxing who are general sports fans, again, like Eubank, they know that surname. Yeah, you're right, Andy. And so commercially, it makes sense. And it feels like it's been, it feels like people are waiting for it to happen because it's been talked about for so long now. I mean, when it was first sort of floated, uh, and I think it was Eubank himself who was almost calling out Conor Ben, who was a, a welterweight at the time, middleweight, who had fought a super middleweight. And you're like, this is laughable. But the fight was made. The guys were set. And then obviously Conor Ben fails a drugs test and we're how long later trickling along now. But you, uh, Conor Ben is still ringside for Eubank's fight with Smith. He's calling him out. He wants to make this fight. He's frustrated. He, he thinks, you know, he's been unfairly prevented from fighting. But, you know, that's, it depends who you talk to and what information you, you've got, whether what, conclusion you come to for that but you're right in saying that that he's not clear to fight in the UK as it is right now and then does that fight really want to go abroad if if it is two historic names and they're going to fight each other you'd ideally want to see it um, where everyone can get behind it and having it here in the UK I think that's great for both fighters sort of legacy you know I I was involved in in big fights, you know, at home and abroad, and the ones that were abroad just don't get mentioned, don't get talked about. So, as a former fighter, I know the ones that are here in the UK, they just capture the public's imagination differently. And I think by hook or by crook, somehow they they'll want to get this fight done. I think Team Eubank will probably be looking at Conor Ben, like, and how do we get how do we get this fight done? So, a fight that he'll be supremely confident. Of taking because he's just a naturally bigger guy. He's in good form. We see at the weekend. Um, Conor Ben's been out of the ring. Frustration. Still relatively inexperienced. Hasn't had world title fight yet. Hasn't had many many big nights, big fights. So and and never. I don't think Andy off the top of my head if he's ever been an underdog either. And I'd make him an underdog certainly in a in a Eubank Ben fight if it comes about. Okay, well, Conor Ben spoke exclusively to White and Jordan this week and was asked that burning question, would he still fight Eubank Jr.? Oh, 100%. I don't believe I need a warm-up fight. Um, you know, given everything that's going on um, and has gone on, I'd like to do it here for the supporters, for everyone who's continued to support me through this period. You know, a December massive showdown would, um, you know, be a treat for the fans, most definitely. Well, there you have it. I didn't really expect him to say anything different, to, to be honest with you. What what would be different, though, I think, is that, as you mentioned there, George, before we heard that clip, the first time around, it was kind of Eubank who needed him. Now it's the other way around. Um, the first time, the boot regarding calling the shots was on Connor Ben's foot, and he made it at 157, and there were rehydration clauses and all that kind of thing, and Eubank had to suck that up. He's not going to be agreeing to anything like that this time around, is he? But you, you wouldn't expect, would you? Eubank will be saying, no, listen, I've just beaten Liam Smith. You're going through what you've gone through. 
I'm the name here now. A sides, B sides. You know, it it it, it makes. I lose the will to live with it sometimes, but but it matters, doesn't it? You've negotiated massive fights, and and it matters. And for you, Bank, surely now it's a straight no, one sixty, no rehydration clauses. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think sometimes you're negotiating and you're hoping to have the, the fans' opinion, you know, the people's opinion on your side. And I think that that the general fight fan won't want to see it at 157 with a rehydration clause. And I'm sure that that will even the score to a certain degree. And But the fight fan will want to... No, 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 you do it at middleweight. Do it at 160. And we want to see the very best version of Eubank Jr., you know, we don't want to see him talking about being 60% or whatnot. Because I don't want to hear that as, as a fighter. I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to be invested in tuning into a fight where the fight is not actually at 100%. And we've already sort of touched on it earlier on the show. You have to be an actor and say that you are 100% when you're not. Not the opposite and say you're, you're exactly. less than what you actually are. Exactly. So, I, you know, and Conor Ben. He had a meteoric rise, it felt, in a really short space of time where everyone got behind him. You know, he was with the lead promoter, Eddie Hearn, you know, on the zone that were doing, you know, big stuff on the social media stuff. You know, he, his, his profile rocketed and, you know, everyone jumped behind him and really started to back him. And then since the news broke that he'd failed a drugs test, um, He's had to do a lot of damage control and he's been left. He probably feels he's been left out in the cold and he's had to work hard for keep his name, keep his profile. And how has he dealt with that? How has he coped with Andy? You know, has he used that frustration to his advantage? We'll only find out when he finally fights or has it eaten him up and put miles on the clock for him in his career? Um, he's still chasing the uh, Eubank fight. So I don't think he has an awful lot of options out there. And if he stays at welterweight, obviously we've got Terence Crawford and a whole host of other extremely talented welterweights that I'm sure he'd love to be in a mix with. But again, <laughs> I wouldn't pick him as a favourite to win any of them big fights because he doesn't have the experience yet. And it's not like you can bank on some amateur pedigree or anything of the sort in that regard. So it makes sense for him to be chasing this Eubank fight, this this two big names certainly even bigger names when they face each other um, I'm sure he'd be comfortable coming up to middleweight taking away the rehydration clause but what he might not be comfortable with is that not everyone's going to be singing his praises and on his side and, and hoping he wins we never know by the time this if the fight does get made and how each fighter portrays themselves and you know what the what the public buy into and what they get behind but at the moment right now um he certainly doesn't have, you know, the support that he, he had once had. No, that's a good point as well, because when he was on that rise, everybody got behind him. Like you said, he was really popular. He he was kind of the next big thing and he spoke really well and people loved the way that he talked about his story and, and the grind of professional boxing. And Eubank's just always been the villain, hasn't he? And I get the feeling that he, he, he just doesn't really like it that much anymore. He doesn't really understand it particularly. And, and maybe we'll get this mad turnaround where all of a sudden Eubank's kind of this people's champion and, and Conor Ben is the, is the villain. It's, it's entirely possible. Just on those two, Conor Ben's got more time on his side than Eubank. If you had to put your money on one of them winning a world title, which one would it be? 
Well, I think Eubank doesn't have time on his side at all. Um, he fought me for, for my world title, but that was five years ago now um, and hasn't been in the mix since. Um, obviously, we had slow boxing through, throughout COVID, but since then, you know, he, he hasn't looked to really push for a world title fight, in, in my opinion, and it's tough. Obviously, you got Charlo... Um, in their middleweight belt and Golovkin's been about and but there's been no there's been no talk. So if the belt scatter and maybe he as I say he's got that profile where he can maybe pick up a a vacant title, fight in as the A side and maybe win. But I'm not I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure if he'll be interested in chasing that route. Um Connor Bent, welterweight, I I don't think he can win a world title. No, I mean, it's, it's it's tough for him, isn't it? Because one fighter's got all of them at welterweight. He's probably the best fighter in the world, Crawford. Charlo's got them all at super welter, but he's moving up to super middle, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. It's it's tough. Yeah, it really is tough. I mean, I'd love to say, Connor being the younger fighter, I'd love to see him in the mix with some more gatekeeper slash former world champions and see where he's at, you know, see where he's at. But, you know, if... Even Ennis and other, you know, rising stars in that weight division, he's he's got his hands full if that's where he stays. But if he's been lingering up like close to the middleweight mark for this Eubank fight, then maybe his weight days are over. Maybe he will never get back down to that weight and be solid at it. Because that's what happens as as fighters if you if you put on the weight and you put on the the natural weight, not just you know blown up with a bit of excess visceral fat and and fluid and body and, and water and that can easily strip back off if you put on a bit of muscle then sometimes it, it doesn't want to come back off and sometimes it's dangerous and you're not the same fighter when you do try and come back down to uh, your original weight division so he we he might be now a solid light middleweight and yeah with, with Charlo who's got all the belts fighting Alvarez is there is there options going to be there for him after that fight, after that fight, that mega fight between them two guys, uh, will he stay at the, in the division? Will he let the belts go? Will they scatter? He's, if anything, he, he just needs to get himself back able to fight so that he's in a position to challenge for anything that's come up. Sal Canelo Alvarez takes on Jamel Charlo later this month. So what chance the Mexican king finally gets a beating at super middleweight? Let's talk Canelo against Charlo. I, this really interests me. I was kind of amazed when this fight was made, to be honest with you. Um, when I heard it announced, I thought, well, it must be Jamal Charlo because he's a middleweight. He'll move up to super middleweight. But but it's the other one. It's Jamal who's undisputed at super welterweight, so 154 pounds, stepping up to 168 pounds. He'd been out of the ring for a good while with a hand injury. Um, but it's not like the fight was coming for a long time. So he's had a long time to try and get himself up to 12 stone from 11. And he's made comments recently, George, about how difficult that is, you know, to put on the kind of lean muscle and try and turn yourself into a into a bigger man. On that, if you were him, which way would you do it? Because I'm guessing when he gets in the ring as a super welterweight, on the night, he'll weigh in at 11 stone. But I'm guessing by the time the first bell goes, because he's big, isn't he? He's a big super welter. He's probably not far off 12 stone anyway. He could just do it exactly like he normally does, not have to cut weight, 
have a camp where he's bursting with energy all the way through, keep that speed, keep that mobility. He could do it like that. I suspect he isn't because he's talking about trying to put weight on. Mm. Yeah, it, you can't put on lean muscle or that's going to benefit you in a short space of time. You know, that's like that's years in the making. That takes multiple camps to sort of really grow into a new division. You see you see guys move up a division. It's either because they were fighting in the wrong division because they were just killing themselves to get down a weight or they've moved up because there's opportunities and it takes them a fight or two before we start seeing the, the best version of themselves. I think you're right, Andy. I, I can't see Charlo thinking, right, I need to slap on a load of lean muscle mass. That's going to benefit me in in a fight. Um, and he's a big, he's a big dude, isn't he? He's a big guy, um, like middle. So you're thinking, right? His, uh, yeah. Does he cut weight and does he swell after the weigh-in? And maybe there's a, a little bit of wiggle room there in terms of what he's going to ring walk with. Um, and no doubt, the guys who are really tight at the weight, you end up, you know, cannibalizing lean muscle mass, lean lean muscle throughout the camp anyway because something's got to go something's got to shift um but if you if he if he's got the luxury of keeping that you hope that it works for him but you know having to carry around a bigger frame will play a difference you know it will catch up with you so maybe you won't be quite as sharp and agile and have the the movement that you have when you sort of you're just naturally a lighter guy or maybe once you get later on into the championship rounds you start feeling the weight of the new rig that you're sort of having to um, manoeuvre uh, between the ropes. So I, I don't think it's a good idea for him to try and quickly grow into a, into a super middleweight. If anything, it's just, yeah, like you can take out that weight cut that we do talk about and loads of fighters do it and you're not allowed to do it, you know, really, but everyone obviously does, where you dehydrate for the weigh-in and then you rehydrate after. So hardly there's you know, no fighter gets on the scales and then ring walks at the same weight. And if they do, everyone in the industry will tell them you're fighting at the wrong weight. Uh, so maybe it just takes out that weight cut, which will be a massive benefit for him because that is taxing, that is grueling, that is tough. And usually that can sap your energy. Sometimes that's the hardest fight of the whole process. That's harder than the, the, the action that comes on fight night so um yeah i mean it, whenever the bigger guy is matched against the littler guy you think well the bigger guy's got to win but you never know you never know and some dudes are just fighting at the the wrong weight or they can still perform at the bigger weights and this is one that's really split an opinion and if everyone i talk to you know you straight away you think oh well everyone must think canelo alvarez who's just dominated at super middleweight is a foregone conclusion that he beats the light middleweight champion, but people, people, people are back in Charlo. Have you seen any chinks in the armor for for Canelo in in recent times? People I speak to, some of them anyway, kind of feel like we may have seen the best of him, and that he's possibly because he's had a lot of fights. You need to look at when people started and how many fights they've had. To be honest, to not their age, because he started when he was fifteen, and he's had what, 60-odd fights now, and loads of them at a really high level. Do you feel like this is a good time to be fighting him, basically, if you're Charlo? Yeah, you, I mean, ultimately every fighter at some point 
the accumulation of the rounds as far in the fights, the weight making, the training, we'll catch up on them. And you know, we spoke to John Ryder earlier, and I spoke to John Ryder before, and he he has said that he thinks, you know, no way can you say Golovkin's on the slide, but he thinks that maybe his best days are past him, and you know, he's still a force, he's still a great fighter, but you know sooner or later maybe someone's going to get him at the right time and and you're right it might be charlo this time you know and you always wonder like are they going up is this just a, an extraordinary opportunity you know it's a it's going to be a mega mega event attraction and if charlo wins then the gamble is worth it or do they feel like they know and they've seen something in alvarez that you know no actually this is the right time. We we've sort of almost hit the jackpot that we are the ones who are going to get the chance to fight him now before anyone else sort of beats him. Yeah, I mean, he, he still seems kind of obsessed with the idea of going back up to light heavy and and, and fighting Bivol because he's that he's that guy, isn't he? Um, you know, he wants to he wants to do that much like Katie Taylor. You know, insisted that the rematch against Chantel Cameron would be at super lightweight, not back down at her natural weight of of lightweight so he's, he's still definitely very ambitious Canelo that's that's for sure um, but you're right with this quite a lot of people I'm talking to are, are just giving me little whispers about Charlo and feel that he's got he's got a real he's got a real chance in this fight I mean if you roll it back 10 years and um, or however long you feel roll it back when was peak Groves I would say peak Groves 2018, 2019, maybe somewhere around there. Um, how would you have gone about this, Canelo? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm a lot bigger than him, so like you come into like the super, he's coming up to super middleweight. He doesn't have that natural height and reach. He's he's grown into this this division, and he's been dominant. So it's hard to write him off as uh, he's just a little man, and you know, we'll we'll give him a boxing lesson. Um, but uh, I think. You know, you want to make him uncomfortable, like you do with every fight. Making him uncomfortable is to, is to make him work. He likes to spring in with his attacks, but he's um, he's there to be hit at times. And Bivol displayed that. He, he fought with, you know, being the naturally bigger guy, big like heavyweight, uh, with discipline, didn't get carried away, didn't sort of fall over the front foot, didn't linger in the pocket to get caught with a, with a sharp counter. Uh, I think that's, you know, you've got to be able to outbox uh, Canelo Alvarez, I think, to beat him. Um, Phenomenal, I think he's just got great punch resistance. You know, you, you, you'd struggle if your game plan was to put a significant dent in him. You want to have, obviously, enough power to, to keep him honest. You can't just have him where you can just walk through, you know, your quality work. You've got to have enough power to, to, to keep him at bay. But... Um, yeah, I think I think Bivol sort of half showed the, the, the game plan to beat in an Alvarez, where you know, he likes to he likes to get you on the ropes, spring into range. You know, they're they're eye catching shots. He's always going to be great to watch. So he's trying to land that that lead left hook behind the elbow. Like it's it's um it's such a audacious punch to initiate a combination with. You know, the the audacity of someone trying to start with a lead left hook behind the elbow but he does it because he's got that menacing style and of course he's got the power and the force that just allows him to spring in 
you know, the bent arm shots are always always great for him. But he's got great eye, a great um, great timing. Um, you know, the reflexes are not quite what they were. You know, the way that he used to pull away with that sort of Latino South American style, where they just they just look away from the shot. It just takes that full force and sting out of the punch, and you just can never nail the guy properly. But I think, yeah, the reaction's slightly slower. That that defense ain't quite there. He's happy to sort of stand behind high guard, sort of just a, a cover defense. And um, yeah, you know, Charlo, the the lightning fast sort of American fighter, <laughs> grown up in the American gyms with that that wily old old school American style. Uh, might give Canelo problems. It just, it just might, and I think you know, by the time this fight comes around, you're gonna, you're gonna struggle to to pick to pick a winner. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If after that knockdown, if Daniel had grit his teeth and went hell for leather, I don't think a lot of people would be moaning about the application. People are moaning about it because some feel he, he didn't, you know, he sort of lost heart in the fight. But that's that to me is irrelevant. It's what happened at that moment in time. And that moment in time, he, he hit with a legitimate shot. I think we can guarantee we can prove that. And at one stage, when I think when Usyk went once in the fight, after about two rounds, the referee just takes more time. So that's not his job. And, and the referee got it drastically wrong. Do I think they'll declare it no contest? No, I don't. We will try hard for that. But I don't think they will. But there's no doubt about it. The referee got it badly wrong. The shot was a legitimate shot. And at the end of the day, if what happened happened, it can't be right. This is Fight Night with me, Andy Clark, and George Groves on TalkSport. And that was Frank Warren talking about the scenes we witnessed 
in Poland, live on TalkSport a couple of weeks ago between Daniel Dubois and Alexander Usyk, when Usyk went down in that fifth round and the referee adjudged it to be a low blow. George, at the time, his back was to me, so I couldn't really see it. But the reaction he gave Usyk was what I would describe as a classic reaction from someone who's been hit low. You kind of clutch yourself and then basically you just stop fighting because you feel it's really obvious that that's what's happened and that's what the referee will decide. Um, And then when I saw it, you could see it landed on the belt line and I made the point that sometimes the referee will say the belt line is good or the belt line isn't good if somebody is... As, as it depends on where your shorts are because they should be on top of the protector. The top of the shorts should line up with the top of the protector around about the belly button, just below the belly button, that line from the top of um, your hips that you that you draw across. So at the time I was aware that this was going to be a talking point, but I think maybe one thing that has caused confusion is that people are talking about whether it was low or not. It's probably more helpful to talk about whether it was a foul or not because people talk about a low blow and they expect to see somebody punched in the testicles, basically, don't they? But if you hit someone on the protector, it might not be that low, but it's a foul, isn't it? As far as I'm aware, it is, yeah. So for me, it was... um, I keep saying this wrong, so it was low. Like... I'm, you know, and it's down to the referee's discretion at this point. If the referee, you know, shots do fly in and they do catch you on, on the waistband uh, and then the action's allowed to continue and it's always down to the referee's discretion. But uh, if it's gone down, if he's been hit and we we see for action replays, we've got that privilege. The referee doesn't obviously have that, but we've watched it back and he hits him clearly in on the shorts. So uh, he goes down. And it's ruled uh, a no knockdown because it's a low blow. Uh, and I made the referee right, to be honest. I think, you know, if, if Daniel Dubois maybe wasn't British and Jerry, you know, we, we wasn't, you know, would, we would all be happy if he won. But, you know, it, it doesn't paint a picture for the entire fight anyway because, I mean, Usyk won the vast majority of the rounds. Um, it's not like the referee started counting and then changed his mind. If he had started counting, everyone says, well, we're sure Usyk would have made an attempt to have got up and the likelihood is he would have got up and the likelihood is he would have survived the round. And then he's an exceptional fighter. I'm sure he would have got compo- recomposed himself and um, got back to business. But um, I like what Frank Warren's doing as, at the same time. You know, if there's any inclination for for an argument or a row, he's back in his fighter. Um, he's got zero chance of ruling this a no contest, in, in my opinion. Uh, if he might get some lenience from uh, the governing body, uh, and then maybe there's there's an option for Dubois to go in or at least cut the queue in terms of a, a mandatory It's challenge. possible, it's possible, isn't it? Well, well, let, let's get someone on the line now who has been... He's been in discussion, shall we say, um, in debate with Frank Warren over this, over the course of the week. It's top boxing writer joining us from the States, Dan Raphael. Dan, thanks very much for making the time. What have you made of all of this? Hey, guys, my pleasure to be on with you. Uh, I wouldn't call what's happened between myself and Frank in debate. It's me been. Uh, showing him facts and him getting personal with me like the low-class individual he's always been. It's a ridiculous appeal. I can understand people perhaps having more sympathy towards Dubois and Frank's position had he not lost every second of the fight and then quit. 
it's uh, it's a rough way to go when you try to make an appeal on what was clearly a low blow and you didn't do anything else the rest of the fight and you got knocked out. So they're barking up the wrong tree. And the other thing about this ridiculous appeal, and Frank should know better, is that sanctioning bodies are not in the position to make rulings on whether fights are no contests, wins, losses, whatever. That's up to the governing or the the regulation agency that handles the event locally. So in this case, in uh, the, the boxing regulators in Poland, the same thing as if this fight had been in the UK, it would be up to the British board. If it was in the United States, it would be up to the state or tribal commission. It is not up to the sanctioning body. The sanctioning body is in charge of the belt, of the rankings of their organizations. They offer their opinions and suggestions to the local commissions, perhaps about the referees and judges that are appointed. But they can't make a fight in no contest. Dan, what's what's the reaction been generally in 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 the USA? Because you know we're all in our bubbles, basically, aren't we? We're in this British bubble, and Daniel Dubois is a British fighter, and it you know we we get that kind of reaction. But from quite a lot of fighters that I've spoken to that I work with, quite a lot of them have said that they feel that it was a legitimate blow, basically because they don't feel like it was that low. It's the point I was making to George. So the distinction here between low. And a foul. Is, has there been any confusion well, stateside or has, has it been quite clear to you all? I mean, I can't speak for everybody here in the United States. I think it's not so much what country you're from. It's just if you're a boxing viewer and somebody that pays attention. I think it's, it's – there's definitely people that think it was a legal punch and there's certainly a lot of people that thought it was uh, a foul and or a low blow. I don't really draw a distinction. If it's low, it, it's still a foul. It's not. I don't think Daniel Dubois did it on purpose. It wasn't an intentional foul. Everybody's got to remember, here you have a, a referee in Luis Pabon who is very experienced, who's done, I mean, countless numbers of world championship fights at the highest level for a long time. He made an immediate, in the in the split-second moment, the decision that this was a low blow, and he ruled it as such. And Alexander Usyk, who was on the mat, knew that, saw that, knew, okay, it, he called it a low blow, I'm going to have time to recover. And I think, as I heard some of what you were saying before you brought me in, that if, if, if Pabon had ruled it immediately a knockdown and started to count that the reaction from Usyk would have been a lot different. And I'm sure, like many have thought, that he probably would have gotten up. We'll never know whether he would have stayed down or gotten up. Uh, but the reality was it was ruled a low blow. He had five minutes to recover. He, he fought uh, at, you know, well before that five minutes expired and continued to dominate the fight. To me, this has all been about just trying to in some form or fashion, uh, salvaged Daniel Dubois' career after uh, a second knockout loss, in both in which he quit. I mean, that's just the reality. Now, I never gave him grief about what happened in the in the in the Joyce fight because he suffered a legitimate injury in that fight. So I'm not getting on his case about that one. But there's others who are not as kind as I am. In this fight, it was no such type of injury. He submitted this fight. He was mentally weak and he gave up. And his fighters, his promoter, Frank Warren, is trying to salvage the remnants of his career, particularly if you look at the previous fight where he did win against Lorena, but went down three times in the first round. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things uh, that are not uh, in Daniel's favor at this moment, unfortunately for him. I mean, good guy, nice guy, been a good fighter, but is he going to reach that top level after what we've seen against Joyce, against Lorena, and now against Usyk? You know? The jury is out, I suppose. It's up to him to change everybody's mind, but it seems like the answer is no. And so Frank's doing what he can, but he's doing it in a low-class way. And already 
Jonas, he's going looking for her. Rocks her back onto the ropes here in this opening round. Big right hooks over the top as well. As I say, that big left hand goes in again from Natasha Jonas. Beautiful stuff here. Another big left hand from Jonas. We're in round six. And how much more are they going to allow Candy Wyatt to take? And the referee's got it. Right hand, left hand from Natasha Jonas. Declaring your winner by TK. Natasha Jonas, the new IVF welterweight champion. What comes next? Well, we'll ask her personally next on TalkSport. So welcome back, everybody, to Fight Night with me, Andy Clark, and the Saint, George Groves. There's been some interesting news in the world of women's pro boxing this week, which is that Amanda Serrano is scheduled to box <laughs> over 12 three-minute rounds against Daniela Ramos, that fight coming up towards the end of... October, she'll be defending three of her four featherweight titles. The WBC, as I understand it, won't be on the line. We'll maybe get into that a little bit later. And this is a debate that's been raging for a good while. Should it be two-minute rounds? Should it be three-minute rounds? And joining us on the line is, is somebody who I think will be very interested in this because her next fight, we believe, will be against Michaela Mayer, who has absolutely been campaigning for three-minute rounds for, for quite a while now. And it's Natasha Jonas. Tasha, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I mean, we've kept you waiting for uh, for a while because um, you were telling us just before we just before we came on off air there that you were actually expect, <laughs> you're actually expecting the call at nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, you know what I'm like for time, and I'm not I'm not the best. So yeah, um, maybe I need to start reading the messages a bit more clearer. Okay, well, you know, we've all done it. We've all done it. <laughs> and just just looking back to last week, it was. It was one of those nights where you, you weren't actually fighting yourself, but it, I mean, it kind of felt like you were because so many people had, had your name in their mouth, Lauren Price and then Michaela Mayer. And, you know, I, I guess you were expecting it, though. Yeah, I think you, you were the only one that didn't call me off, Andy, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, I remember Joe saying a long time ago, um, once you become a champion, be prepared to have the target on your back and everybody call you. And that, that's just what's happened. And it's... I think both girls are very respectful, respectful, um, and it's just business. That's all it is. It's just boxing business. There's no animosity or anything, and I expected it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there certainly didn't seem to be, George, did there? You know, it was. It seems to be like it's one of those fights that's just really easy to make. It is definitely easy to make. I mean, both both fighters are standing there next to each other, saying, "Yeah, I'll, I'll fight you. I'll fight." You. I was waiting for a bit more uh, spice and. Needle, uh, Tasha, I didn't know if you had anything planned up your sleeve that you thought, oh, I'll save it for later, I'll save it for the first press conference or or whatnot. But um, we're at that stage now with women's boxing, I suppose, where, you know, there's bit, names are getting called out, you know, and you, you are the the top of the the pyramid in that respect. I think everyone's after you. Yeah, it's a nice position to be in, a privileged position, because for so long it looked like it was never going to be that way. So, yeah, I... Um, yeah, I think maybe once the, the deal's signed and um, things happen, we have got so many personalities, I think. And it, I think it's definitely a bit more of an, an American thing, all the trash talk. And so I expect once it's signed, that, that, that may kick off. But 
you know, I, I haven't got anything bad to say about it. I think she's a, a great boxer and I think it'll be a great fight. So. Well, let's talk about these these three-minute rounds, that, that whole debate then, because you mentioned Serrano there, uh, and she's traversed the weights in, in amazing fashion throughout the course of her career. So this next fight of hers will be at featherweight. She's got all the belts at featherweight, but this won't be for the WBC, as I understand it, because they mm-hmm. don't approve of three-minute rounds for female pros. And just to explain to people... It's never been not allowed, basically, that female pro fighters could box three-minute rounds. People have done it. Nicola Adams did it. Savannah Marshall's done it. Um, Marlon Esparza's has done it. Back in the day, a fighter called Layla McCarter did it. Did it plenty. The rules are the same in that the promoter replies to the commission if it's in America or the border control here or whoever's in charge wherever you are, basically. They propose mm-hmm. a fight and they'll propose uh, a duration um, of rounds and, and, and how many minutes those rounds will be. So you can apply for it. Uh, that's not a problem. But so far, promoters generally haven't done that, and they've stuck with the with the two minute rounds. I mean, where do you where do you stand on it all? There's no suggestion from anybody who's got any sense that that female pros, certainly towards the, uh, the the top end of the sport, you know, can't box three minute rounds. I mean, you do it all the time. You did it in the amateurs. But w- what are your feelings about it? Um, I think there's so much conflict and information, which is which is why everyone gets confused. I think the first fight I ever watched with Trust Demons was the Marlene Esparza one. And to, if I'm honest, three minutes would probably suit the, the, my style of boxing better. Um, the thing that I have with it, the, the issues that I have with three minutes is that people, fans say that they want to, you know, see more knockouts. That's the biggest like thing that people say. We want to see more knockouts. We wanna... But when the big knockouts happen, we've seen... Have a, have a few, we've seen Teddy Harper in one. People don't like to see it. They're, they're, like, they're, like, they're kind of put off by it. Well, we didn't, like to, we didn't like to see that. We didn't like to see a, a female be hurt or whatever the, the reason is. But people say about men's sports, even like the men's, like bad knockouts in the men's. So if, if you're saying purely because you want to see knockouts, then I don't think that's the way forward. Maybe possibly 12 twos could be a better option. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to, you know, I don't know if you want to see it last longer, you want to see physical powers, you want to see the skills for longer, that's different. But if you're also only saying just for knockouts, I don't think it's the it's the the right time for it. But then at the same time as if we do, if we do change it and we do have the, the men's championship round, then the other issue is, is going to be, are we going to get paid the same? Or are we going to get paid fairer? So, I, I don't know what's the case. I know she's been very well paid through um, Jake Paul and his promotional team and she's the highest paid female, so that's great for her. But will that knock down and be the same for everybody else? I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one, Natasha. I mean, I spoke to a few female fighters, world champions, I'm sure Ellie Scottney and Ebony Bridges, who said that they would be really comfortable with three-minute rounds but they would, you know, they would hope and expect a pay increase for that. They exactly. think that there's possibly it's an out for the boxing industry to say you can't get paid the same because you're not doing the same, you know, amount of minutes in the ring for the paying public. And also, there's questions about the will there be a, a, a an obvious gulf in the talent? You know, will we see the better girls just? really rising to the top because they can cope with the three-minute rounds and 
two minute rounds totally different. But I, I'm I'm in favour of three minute rounds. I've got to say, I think I think I want to see the women move to three minute rounds. It become much more like professional boxing, and we see a lot of female boxing because it's two rounds. It is uh, two minute rounds. It is just so quick. Yeah, it's so quick, and the fights are over so quick, and you you just you don't really have a chance, do you, to set the traps? You know, all the stuff you'll be working with with Joe in 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 camp in the gym, who's obviously a vastly experienced coach. It's tough for you to get it out over two two minute rounds, but I think it's also, fascinating. I I do agree. Sorry to interrupt. I do agree, but that's also what makes it exciting because you have to do it within the two minutes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. But it depends on what what you, you know, like you as the fighter. You're in the gym, and you, you have to change your style of fighting for for two minute rounds rather than three minute rounds because 100%. you you know it's, it's it's a volume game. You've got to get these punches off. You've only got 120 seconds to to do it, and you don't want to lose rounds because someone's just been busier because you haven't had time to, to set up the, the, the quality work. I find that fascinating that you talk about um, being maybe uncomfortable with seeing more female knockouts and essentially b- being a female fighter and aware that the vast majority, or, or, or I should say, I'm not sure if it's the vast majority, but a large proportion of the boxing audience probably don't want to see females get knocked out. They're not ready for that yet, or... They're not no, sure if they're ready for that yet, shall I say. It's so, unheard so of. What they say is that they want to see more knockouts, but when the knockouts happen, people are uncomfortable to watch it. So they, they want to see... That's what they say, I want to see more knockouts, we want to see this, we want to see that. But when that actually happens... So the 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 thought of it is 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 more appeasing than the reality of it. The, re, the reality of it is when they've seen, you know, I don't know, Teddy get hit by Baumgartner. Nobody likes that to see that. Nobody wanted to see that. And finally, it's time to get the Saint talking about himself. I thought maybe people don't want to hear about me all the time. And when you're talking to other fighters, it is about them right there and then. And, you know, I'm... I've thought of I've been through the mill quite a bit. There's usually something along my journey that's relatable to the, the guy I'm or girl I'm chatting to. So I'll try and delve in there and you know ask the open-ended questions to see what they arrive at, rather than steering them too much. But um, I do you do see it from time to time. It usually lands quite funny when a fighter just sort of ends up talking about themselves a little bit too much in, in periods when they maybe shouldn't. And maybe I'm conscious of that Andy and I just sort of try and avoid it if I can. Um, but yeah, you know, I, most of the time, to be honest, you are sort of thinking, well, I, you know, that, that reminds me of my time doing this or doing that. And but then you need to be a little bit self-aware and not start every sentence with. Uh, uh, during the war, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just something. It, it, it's just something I, I kind of, um, yeah, I kind of noticed. So I want to talk a bit of the Gale. I want to talk a bit of James the Gale because you've been in the spotlight. You were in the spotlight for a long time in your career. You were when you turned pro because <clears throat> you were fighting on big bills right from the beginning. But that fight, that fight, it was huge. And time passes quickly mm-hmm. and new fans come into the sport. And I'm not saying things get forgotten necessarily, but I think it's 
almost in that spot now where, what, 12 years ago, mad to think that it's 12 years ago, people almost, I'm not sure if they really realise people who've come into the sport, say, more recently, off the back of London 2012 and AJ and stuff like that, how big that was. Mm. Because the build-up around it was massive. Um, and the pressure you had to do and the spotlight on you and the attention on you. I mean, it stood you in really good stead for everything you went on to do. But at the time, it must have been, I mean, what were you thinking about that at the time? Because you got the rivalry with him for a start and then you've got all this other stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was it was huge for me in my world right there and then, Andy. And I think obviously it was British title level. Um, we never sort of finished the story. We I did in an ideal world, we should have fought again for a world title down the line. Our paths just never crossed again. And I think if we did, then, you know... The, close? Were you close at any point? I think we were probably close, but also a million miles away. You know, doing a deal between me and him would have been impossible. You know, absolutely impossible because neither of us would, were willing to give anything away at that point. But when the, when the, you know, the first fight that we had as professionals was made... I'd already had my eye on him. He'd had his eye on me, I'm sure. Our, our paths were destined to cross. We sort of forced the situation. I'm sure Frank Warren, his promoter, would have thought, let's go a, a different route. You don't need to be fighting an unbeaten fighter, you know, in his 10th fight for a British title fight, who's, you know, on the rise, prospect, ABA champion, got a win over him in the amateurs. Um, I was represented by... David Hay. I was signed to the Haymaker banner, uh, managed by Hay, which was essentially Adam Booth, who was also my trainer. Um, and we had a discussion. I said, oh, I can beat him. I want to do it. Let's do it. And they went with it. But I think, you know, even he would have had doubts. He certainly had doubts along the way. Um, and maybe just thought, well, it's going to be a big fight, big high profile fight, win, lose, or draw. You know, we'll, we'll see what Rose is made of. Um, but it was for me uh, an invaluable fight. Um, everything around it, the, you know, the the build up, the preparation, the training camp, um, you know, the rivalry, you know, learning on the job, learning, you know, how to deal with the occasion, deal with the media, deal with the pressure, deal with fans, deal with friends and family who are sort of totally entwined in this I deal with the doubters as well I guess too because from what I remember I mean he was kind of the house guy wasn't he really yeah so he was I mean Frank Warren was still probably he was the lead promoter on Sky at the time um, he was putting on the pay-per-view shows and yeah Degal was the golden child the golden boy the, the Olympic gold medalist and he had to his credit which I didn't want to give him put together an, uh, an impressive run of fights Um had a great win to win the British title against Paul Smith. Um, and this is sort of, we're just breaking out of that era, Andy, of like newbie pros having to get to 20, 25, 30 and 0 before they challenge for a British title. You know, um, these guys would rack up win after win after win against sort of journeymen. Learning fights, it was the process, but this was new age where I won the Commonwealth title. I was up to championship level fights in my ninth fight. You know, I'm we're not hanging about we want every fight to be a test of sorts, but we we got we got to get there. Um, and Degauer sort of had to follow that. Every I think he wanted to anyway. Um, he had got to a British title in maybe ten ten fights or something, and he had a really good performance against Paul Smith. Um, I had a fight after he boxed Paul Smith against Kenny Anderson. 
who was um, a good fighter, <laughs> good fighter, unbeaten fighter. He'd won a Commonwealth gold medal as an amateur for his country, Scotland, um, up at like heavyweight, sort of boiled down to super middleweight. Um, hadn't put a foot wrong, but no real backing, so no real big name. Um, and I had to, you know, I made I made a, a defense of my Commonwealth title. I had to get off the floor in the third round, um, really grind out a win. Didn't box to my best, and now all of a sudden there's massive question marks over my head. But this was a final eliminator for the British title, so I was in, you know, um, the BBBSC uh, instated me as mandatory for James Digal's belt. He's not shying away from challenging me. I'm certainly not going another direction. Our paths that we we've somehow forced ourselves to have to get. You know, we're we're on the roller coaster now. It's it's it's, it's buckle up and away we go. Um, we do a deal with Frank Warren um, and I know I'm going to be the away fighter but it was the best opportunity um, Frank was the only one who could sort of deliver the fight at the time he was the only promoter big enough you know haymaker there wouldn't have had a chance of sort of putting that fight together but Frank did um, and we ended up headlining a pay-per-view card at the O2 Arena you know in 2011 which you know for now people think yeah yeah sure I'm sure that was happens week in week out but back then it was uh, a different era and it was it was pretty incredible no it was it was it was it was huge it was I was I was all over it I was, I was absolutely all over it like a rash we're, we're running out of time on this which is just so annoying but <laughs> just 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 final one on it when you stood in the ring in the middle of the ring at the end there and you're waiting for the MC to read it out what were you thinking? I was thinking I got it. I think I got it. I thought, I, you know, I, it was a tough game plan to have to go out and execute because we were just going to win the rounds with enough. You know, it wasn't go out and dominate the gal. It was go out and box off the back foot and win with the sharper punches. Walk him, let him, st- you know, he wants you to stand still, so don't stand still. In and out with your feet, sharp, sharp, straight shots. And I thought I'd, I execute that brilliantly throughout the night. Um, the gal boxed well. But I thought I had enough rounds in the bank to win. But knowing I'm the away fighter, and essentially we're both coming to the to the plate with with a, with a belt each. It felt like keeps the champion Frank Warren card. Um, Jimmy Lennon Jr., um, one of the best, if not for me, my favourite MC. Certainly that night he was. Um, he announces that he's still undefeated and. I know James is thinking, oh, that's me. And then he realises... <laughs> that's the that... thing about those announcements. They say that and it doesn't give anything away. You still don't know, do you? Absolutely. Um, and then, But at this point, we know it's, uh, there's going to be a winner. You know, there's a split, it's a majority decision, but there's going to be a winner. And at that point, I know it's me. My my arm's already up. It's raised. And uh, it was what I was trying to keep the celebration subdued because if it was too excited, then people would think he, uh, he's surprised. Thank you as always for listening to the Fight Night podcast, available every week on the TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.